Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. This will be episode one, hopefully of a, a long series of podcasts. Uh, my name's Bradley and some of you may remember me from my days of game style and also being a regular guest on the Pluscast. Um, I've done those a few years back, um, but stopped doing them after a while, but now I'm back. Alongside me, we have Ben. Hello. And Stu. Hey, up. Um, both going to say more than what they said on their intros, I'm sure. So just a quick bit of a background as to why I am doing podcasting again. Um, I've suffered with my mental health for many, many years. Um, and only recently in the past, say, two, three years, have I been able to talk about it. Um, has it become acceptable to talk about it, really? Um, especially for men. Um, and gaming has always been a massive outlet for me. Um, there's an article on the site, um, and I'll link to it in uh, uh, in the notes for this podcast, um, where gaming actually stopped me from doing something completely immoral and wrong while I was at school. Um, and it's always been there for me, even in my darkest moments. And what I think gaming does, and when you when you look around the gaming world, you'll see a huge amount of talk going on about games and the culture surrounding games. And I think it becomes a very good central focus point for us to talk about our mental health as well, but not just focus on the mental health, because sometimes I think the issue is people just focus on the one thing rather than what surrounds it and what benefits it, what negative impacts there are. And that becomes, I think, an issue. It becomes draining to listen to. So what this podcast will be, we'll touch on mental health aspects. We'll even just chat games. And sometimes we'll merge the two. Um, so with that in mind, um, we are going to start off with games. We're going to start off with a bit more lighthearted rather than going into heavy. Um, so we'll do the traditional thing. Gentlemen, what you've been playing? I've been getting back into Injustice 2. I finished Days Gone just before Christmas um, and I was looking for a kind of just pick up and play kind of uh, quite disposable game. Um, I've had Injustice for a little while um, and I I liked it when I, I loaded it up, but I didn't really, I, I suppose I've never really had the kind of infatuation with fighting games or not really appreciated the kind of depth that they can um, provide. I actually sat down and spent some time with it and really, really surprised me just how much I kind of fell in love with it. I think it helps because the game offers a really good um, tutorial system. Um, for someone like me who's, I mean, I've been playing games since the late 80s, but I'm not particularly good at any kind of genre or certainly not fighting games. So to have that, that tutorial to kind of guide me through yeah, it was, it was, I suddenly really started to discover that actually there's, there's a lot of layers to the game and, you know, just trying to learn even the simple combos, etc. Um, and sort of developing a fighting style. So I, I was getting quite addicted to it. And I think with, with fighting games, actually, and it's something I've, I've never been able to get into them properly ever since I discovered I'm not as good as I thought I was. Um, I, I grew up probably like many people playing Street Fighter. Um, round a friend's house and beating them they beat me you spam the buttons a few times you get a few wins and you think you're really good at it and then you went as soon as they went online you realized how bad you are and absolutely that's 
definitely the case with this like i i totally spam buttons or i i was spamming but with injustice it's it's really quite that uh in depth the tutorial to the point where if you've never played a fighting game before i think you would come away um you know if you spend i think the tutorial in total i probably spent over an hour hour and a half just kind of learning different combinations and i mean it goes right down into kind of the frames um you know something which i suppose for fighting game veterans framing in a game to me i, I had no idea what that was but just okay yeah if this animation will take three frames longer than what your opponent's doing um so you yeah you can sort of realize oh yeah i don't want to use that move at this point because they've got a chance to get countered now obviously that's a high level of play which i'm certainly nowhere near but yeah i just found it really interesting sort of digging into a game a bit more and i think it's a actually quite admirable from a nether realm that they've gone to that kind of depth to provide an onboarding for people like me um who say pretty bad at fighting games generally but i'm sure someone who's you know probably very good at street fighter 2 could jump into injustice 2 have a quick look at the tutorials and kind of get a familiarity to you know service their kind of level of play are you mostly playing in single player or do you prefer playing multiplayer well yeah one-on-one -on -one. i've had a few fights online it's quite interesting i think before i probably would have just dipped away from it and you say oh, i'm not never doing that again but understanding the mechanics a bit more i think i can appreciate the defeat and you know understand rather than just getting frustrated and go i'm rubbish at this game go okay i can see you know how i might get better so yeah it's been a an interesting experience overall and one i wasn't really expecting like having say just finished days gone which was a, i think a very good game but you know it's just an open world experience i'm kind of playing that and doing other things as i as i play it but i can imagine open world game number 700 <laughs> yeah i i think well, I could go into Days Gone a bit more, maybe another time, but I, I think it's a lot better game than, you know, obviously the the release reviews suggested. But yeah, to go from quite a passive experience to some to one that's a lot more involved. Um, no, I've just, I've just really appreciated it. I think it's kind of given me a different um, perspective on a genre which I I definitely overlooked. Like like you, I'd played Street Fighter, I've played. Mortal Kombat back in the day, but never to any kind of to any kind of standard. So, yeah, it's been it's been fun. See, so I'll, I'll come on to what I've been playing um, sort of afterwards, and it kind of relates to it. But it is that that whole thing of when you you've played a game before, you've played a genre before, and then you realise years down the line when you go back to it, you've not even scratched the surface of what high level play actually is. Um, and I, it's an ongoing game for me that I'll be playing. I played most of last year, and I'll be playing all of this year and beyond as well. But we'll get into that. But uh, yeah, it's good stuff. But Stu, what you've been playing? Well, quite a few on the docket in the moment. But um, I've been playing a lot of Grid, and there's a review up on the site for that. So online, I'm known as Treble and Treble Alpha on Twitter, and uh, anything you see with that name, any poorly written garbage, that's me. But um, yeah, Grid is uh, the latest release from Codemasters, obviously a, a racing studio of uh, long heritage and depth and sophistication in their games. And, um, and Grid is sophisticated in its own way, but it's actually quite an arcadey experience. Now, finding those sorts of games in the sort of, well, for want of a better term, AAA 
sort of space these days is really difficult. So you can get like the your Horizon Chase Turbo, or whatever it's called, and you know you'll see these small indies bringing out uh, lovely little arcade races, but the big guys rarely touch them. But Grid, as long as you get under the the hood, <laughs> as they were, um, as long as you get under the hood, get into the settings, and do a, just a couple of tweaks, it, it plays out very much like an arcade racer. So you're not thinking, you know, Ridge Racer, Ridge Racer 7 or anything like that. But if you're thinking more along the lines of Metropolis Street Racer, going all the way back to the Dreamcast and, and to a lesser extent, uh, Project Gotham Racing, which came out of that, it's on that sort of a level. So it's very accessible. It's very fast. It's very fun. It's very bright and colourful. Uh, now, that's something you'd think would be a given with these kind of games, but really, you don't find it all that often. I think it's probably taken a few notes out of the playbook from uh, the Forza series. Uh, so I've played a bit of Forza Horizon 4. Uh, it's, a, in my book, a far superior game than that. It's it's just much more... There's much more tactile feeling with the road. The way the weight distribution happens with the car just appeals to me a lot more in, in grid. So, yeah, I'm really, really enjoying that one. Uh, just in terms of gameplay, if people aren't aware, uh, it's a multidiscipline one. So it's not one of these where you're in an F1 car or you're just in a touring car. You get to use all sorts of um, anything from a like a little mini right at the start all the way up to, you know, Formula 1000 little beasts that are like supercharged Mario Kart type things uh, to, you know, super tourers. Uh, massive trucks, that sort of thing. So there's a huge amount of variety. Each one has a different handling characteristic, but no, it never sweeps past fun into pure sim. There's sim elements, uh, so you do have to be a little bit careful about how you throw it around. And, you know, ABS kicks in, but it's not going to completely stop you and, and uh, put you on a scale extra style curve around a corner. You will have to drive it with real physical physics and physics principles in mind but broadly by and large it's uh it's aimed towards the fun end of the market and it's a really funny funny one to come out to be honest because i'd assumed that the grid series was dead so you had the first one which was called race driver grid back in 2008 <clears throat> and then the sequel was about i think five years later and everyone hated it and then they about a year after that they did a a purely on track um circuit racing one um called or grid autosport um and then that was about 2014 and since then there's been nothing and this is a weird position in the market because it's like a reboot slash remake slash i don't know what so it's got loads of tracks from the previous game some of them almost identical just with like a a bit of a graphical touch-up sort of thing but under the hood it's changed the, the handling quite a lot um so yeah, it's a bit of an odd one, and, and it seems to have done really poorly at retail, which is, which is you know a, a great shame to me because it's the kind of game the, the, the I want to see. Of that yeah. release felt weird as well because at the same time mm. as that came out, they re-released Grid Autosport on the Switch, mm. and it just mm. seemed to send mixed messages as to what having both games come out within I think a week, two weeks of each other at the time sent mixed yeah. messages. Now I've not played the new Grid yet. Um, and for frame of reference, I've, I, I started back with Tokatorin Car Championship on the PlayStation 1, um, which for me, through rose-tinted spectacles, is still the best racing game I've ever played in terms of conveying what a motor race is all about. 
And then obviously that progressed through Toka Touring Cars. Sorry, Toka 2 Touring Cars, Toka uh, World Championship, um, and then into the Race Driver Series, into to Grid. And one thing it always did was it conveyed that sense of racing and speed um, better than the realistic Sims ever did, um, because obviously they were simulations. So you wasn't getting the speed aspect or the danger of having all the other cars fighting for position. It was all about keeping your car on the track. And Grid, when that came out, the, 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 the first one of the Grid series, that just blew my mind in terms of this is what it felt like to be in a race. It wasn't realistic, and I'm sure hardcore sim fanatics would turn around and go, oh, you turn on a centre axis, and that's not how tyres grip to the road and what have you. But it, it made me feel like I was in a race. And then, as you say, Grid 2 was, it was just poor. Um, taking out the in-car view, it just lost something. Um, and it, I don't know, it just felt anemic as a game. And Autosport is quite possibly, for me, the best video game racer to date. Um, but I've not had the desire to want to play the new grid. When I've seen screenshots of it, it looked sterile compared to the, uh, the, the, the grittiness of grid. Uh, of like the uh, the PlayStation, uh, the Xbox 360 versions and, and those ones, it just looked very sterile, and it just seemed to be oh right, with Forza Horizon or Forza Motorsport are doing good. Gran Turismo looks great, so we're going to clean it up a bit. Is that the case, or does it still have that grittiness of the others? No, I think I think you're right. I think it's definitely lost that grid. I think it's such a long time since I played the original, but didn't that have like a film grain on it, like a, yeah, a filter? Yeah, I don't think it was a specific had a lot... for that, but yeah, that's how it would come across. Yeah, 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 yeah. and it was um, there was a lot of bloom. It was very kind of yeah. I think it was of the time, and uh, aesthetically, I quite liked that, but. In this one, yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's it's cleaned up. It's brighter. It's kind of gone in a shiny, you know, that kind of shiny arcade direction. Uh, and that will look won't be for everyone. So, yeah, I think you're probably right. In terms of them releasing, you know, having the mis mixed signals, the mixed messaging of releasing a, a different title, but with a similar nomenclature at the same time as throwing people off. And it doesn't look like the original. And it's like, well, where, where does this sit? <laughs> so it's it's definitely a niche one. It's for one, you know, it's, it's one for people who definitely like that gleaming arcade look, uh, shiny, fast, not necessarily uh, too challenging because uh, you can dial the settings right down if you want and not be penalised too much. So, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd recommend you give it a go if you get a chance because I think it'll have that injection of speed that you're looking for, not that kind of speed. Um, but, yeah, if you can get a go of it, Perhaps see what you think, but it might. Turn no, I, off. I assume it'll be cheap enough pretty soon as well. Being a by the code master gamer too, yeah. if it's not sold well, I can see that being a bargain bin job fairly soon. Yeah. Um, so mm. yeah, no, no, that's, that's, thanks for that, Stu. So I've been playing mainly Tetris because that's what I've become now. I, I'm just since this time last year, I've just been addicted to Tetris '99, and then since getting a PlayStation Four again, Tetris Effect. When Ben mentioned earlier, we we touched on sort of like games you used to play in your childhood and then realising how much of a high level there is these days. Playing Tetris makes you realise sort of when you used to play it on the Game Boy um, in the early, like late 80s, early 90s, it's come a long way since then. And I can do things in Tetris 
that people will look at and can't believe are possible, much in the same way I see certain people play Street Fighter or other fighting games or even shoot 'em ups and just go, how are you even doing that? I, I can't even get past the first little bit or I'll get done with a couple of strikes or whatever. Um, but yeah, Tetris has been doing it. But I've also had the chance recently, um, thanks to reviewing, to play Psycho Shooting Stars, um, which is a collection of Psycho shoot 'em up games. Uh, so you've got Strikers series, Gunbird series. So there's two collections there, Psycho Shooting Stars Alpha and Psycho Shooting Stars Bravo. Each one has six games in it. Um, and they're all arcade shoot 'em ups um, And they follow the same pattern, bar a few little basics. And I'm rubbish at them. I am absolutely dreadful. Always have been. Um, even when I used to go down to the arcade and stick me 15, 20p in, whatever it was, um, play them and be dead within 30 seconds and then put in another 20p. I've always been bad at them. But what's really good about these games, uh, and the reason I want to touch on them, is certain games make you feel dreadful for not being good at them. Um, and I think fighters, certain fighters, uh, like I think modern day Street Fighter, can do that. They can make you feel bad if you're not good at them. Um, and Ben picks up on with the likes of Mortal Kombat and Injustice. They don't. I think that they want you to go in and enjoy them. Would you say that's true, Ben? No, I'd absolutely agree. Um, I'd say I, my um, partner, she's actually quite good at Street Fighter, quite annoyingly good at Street Fighter. Um, and I've tried playing that off off the back of Injustice too. And I, it was like a completely alien to me still. So, yeah, I think Injustice 2, Mortal Kombat, I've not really delved that much into, but obviously the the mechanics are pretty much the same. So I imagine it will be as easy to play but um yeah certainly injustice 2 is it's a friendly game for which is great and, and that's that's sometimes what you want i mean dark souls blood ball those sort of games um are difficult and they're designed to be difficult and that's great but you've got other games where they punish you for not being the best at them and i don't like that now what psycho shooting stars does with its games it doesn't care if you're good at them or not um you've got it starts you off with a difficulty setting of around, out of nine, I think they are, starts you off at five, which is normal. And then you can go up to super difficult, or you can go down to basically, you could do this blindfolded by and giving the control to a newborn baby and you'll still get through it. But what the game wants you to do and what these games want you to do, they go, look, we know they're meant to be difficult at the base level, but you, you do you. you. You have your enjoyment out of it. Um, and it's great. I, I, I go into it and I'll play it on normal um, for review purposes just to see this is how the developers want it to be played. But they've gone, look, you've got the game now. It's your game. Do with it what you will. And, and I, I like that. A game that's not afraid to go, we want you to enjoy yourself. Um, we don't want to make you feel stupid for not being able to play this game. And I said, I'm not good. Uh, shoot 'em ups never have been, and as I've got older, I've got even worse at them. Um, bullet hell games, I I can't do bullet yeah, hell. I can't get how people can avoid the bullets on screen and probably still similar attack. to fighting games. Just the reaction speeds that you need to really function at a high level in those games is well, certainly for me, it's yeah. it's well beyond me. There's, there's yeah, there's definitely an aspect to that. <clears throat> I've never really been into bullet hells either, but I always see them as almost like puzzle games. They they have this, you know, there's a, there's 
there's an interlocking type of pattern that you'll see coming. And if your brain's attuned to it, you, you will enjoy following that pattern to create that path. And it's never been for me. I, it, mine's kind of like the fun comes from what's shooting out the front of the <laughs> of the plane yeah. that I'm piloting rather than what I'm avoiding. And I think there's a very sort of distinct switch between people who like one type and um, who like the other. And Brad, it sounds like you're in the same camp as, as myself and Ben in that you like, you know, yeah, traditional um, vertical I'm shooters. I'm trying to remember one of the ones I used to play and it's, it was based around World War II. It wasn't Strikers. Um, but it was, it might even have been called 1942 or something like that. Now, that was 1942, yeah. Shoot mm -hmm. em up, and but that didn't have the bullet hell aspect to it. So I always remember playing that and that not being easy, but I could just go, right, I've got to shoot that thing there, shoot that thing there, go up through the level. Sometimes they'll shoot you back and it might get a bit difficult, but you can avoid them. And I, I really enjoyed those. Um, as I said, I, I would play this. Uh, I remember playing Gunbird in the arcade and not being very good at it, but still enjoying it. But I can appreciate the artistry needed for that high, le high level play. Um, and it's just really good at a time when to be honest without going too far with it the the world is going to absolute pot at the moment um every way you look you don't want your entertainment medium to also be going hey look ethics a bit shit so are you at this so you feel more miserable about things so for a game that is designed around difficulty to be able to go look we know we're difficult but you be you you have your fun i, I just think it's a really good thing and those behind it deserve all the recognition they get and all the praise they get they're not perfect games you know i don't think any single one of the games in there would be marked higher than if you was giving review scores a six or seven out of ten um there are flaws in them um they are pretty much all the same game with different skins on them. But it's a variety of different skins in there and you're playing a game that you can get used to playing. You can play it for five minutes while you've got a break and just have a bit of fun with it or you can go really deep into it. And it's just, yeah, it's great to have those options and uh, to have two packages um, that are available now. As I said, you've got Psycho Shooting Stars, Alpha and Bravo, each with different games in there. And what's really odd, actually, I'll just pick up on this before we move on to the next segment is in psycho shooting stars bravo which i picked up yesterday and I started playing for review is they're all shoot 'em ups and then there's another basically a breakout type game in a shoot 'em up and it's just it's it, all the others are all the same sort of thing and then you've got this breakout clone type thing going on which is just really bizarre but I spent, like, I was having a quick flick through all of them as you do, and I ended up spending about an hour and a half just playing this breakout style one because that is just more my style of game. It's like I wasn't expecting that in a in a shoot 'em up collection. Um, but there'll be a review for that on the site. The Alpha's already on the site. Bravo will be on the site at some point. But yeah, been playing that, and it's something I wasn't expecting to be playing at the start of this year for sure. But it's really good, and if you get a chance, you should be checking them out. So obviously, we said this is a mental health gaming podcast as well. And we want to talk about the various different aspects of, of mental health. And I don't just mean going to the point of depression and suicidal thoughts and anxiety and all that kind of thing. But the everyday 
stuff there is as well. One of the things that that hit me really recently was the idea of freedom. Um, And I don't mean freedom as in the way the Americans look at, you know, the whole freedom aspect um, and how it's been trying to take away from them. But your everyday freedom. I, I work from home and I've actually worked out recently that having the freedom of, look, here's a bunch of tasks, just do them as and when you can and get them to me. You make your own work. And having a lot of free time is actually dangerous for me. I'd actually prefer these days, I think, I think I'd have much preferred it also looking back, have a daily structure to be given, right, I need you to do this today. Um, and here's your instructions. You know, you go for something to eat at one o'clock. You can stop working at five o'clock and, and all things like that. That may seem like a regimented thing, but there's a comfort in that that I don't think you get when you're left to your own devices. When I'm left to my own devices, I can put things off. I can sit there and go, eh, this thing's due later this week. I'll spend today playing on the switch. Um, or oh, do you know what? I'll go to town and I'll go and get a coffee. And doing those different things and just having that freedom, I, I think can have sometimes a negative effect on your mental health. Uh, now, I don't know if that's just me, whether I'm just odd in that or whether whether that's something either of you guys have noticed when it comes to, I suppose, work-life balance or anything Definitely like that. Definitely the last year, that's something I can relate to. I mean, I was made redundant last April. But since then, yeah, I, I've obviously not been in an office since April last year and really noticed how a lack of structure has affected me. You know, I was sitting at home, like you say, that temptation to you know, do things which are probably pretty un- unproductive, um, that temptation is so high. Um, so that freedom, you know, people probably listening would be like, oh, that'd be amazing. You don't have to go to the office. You've got your redundancy money. You can do all the things that you've, you know, you wanted to do. I, personally, I like drawing. I like doing a bit of writing. And I thought, oh, brilliant. I'll have all this time to to do these things and sort of, you know, chase these um creative pursuits that I've wanted to do and I just haven't done because I've blamed have you know having to go to work and not having enough time to do them having all the time in the world is is it's lovely to a point but I think um you know it, it definitely it requires a fair amount of discipline within within someone to actually utilize that time properly yeah I'd, I'd, I'd imagine um <laughs> this is where I'll probably get called out for making the comparison is just not not the same but it almost gives me appreciation when you've seen you've heard of somebody who's been in prison for say 20 years and they come out and they cannot adjust it's they've been so used to having a structure and i think structure is a good thing and again i think it's the same with veterans um when they've come out of the military is that struggle of being able to make decisions for yourself and i don't mean your every day-to-day decision of you know, I need to go to a toilet or I'm allowed to say this thing or freedom of speech or, any, or anything like that. I'm not talking about that, but that that freedom of just you can do what you want. Um, that's a very difficult thing to do. And I actually hate having that freedom of being able to do what I want. I want someone to come at me at the beginning of the day and go, right, Brad, you've got to do this by then, this by then, this by then, you can take your break then, then this has to be done, that's your day. I think that offers me more mentally more freedom and more ways of being mentally creative than actually having outright freedom does. Um, but I'm hoping I'm sort of like conveying that in the right way. Yeah, I think there's obviously always a push-pull between sort of freedom and motivation. And there's a difference between, as you say, sort of having 
uh, a structure that's imposed on you and then it's suddenly being taken away. So I'm in a slightly different situation because I can work from home, but it's still, I'm not looking for work because, you know, obviously employed currently. Um, and I still have all of my tasks to complete. Um, so when I'm at home, I still have those tasks. It's just the difference is that I, I can structure my day around how I want to do them. So theoretically, I could get up at 5 a.m. fit and do do everything that was on my list to complete by 6 a.m. and and you know then just reply whenever people were uh, badgering me or I could leave it till late afternoon and do it then and, and just make sure that I fit in my meetings in between and you know in those sorts of terms you it's kind of it's, it's not the same as being in the office because obviously that's extremely structured and you're you're bumping into people all the time and you have to both physically and mentally uh, adapt to the rhythm of of that environment and you don't have that stricture when you're at home but at the same time you've still got the same goals you've still got to achieve the same things it's just the freedom to do them however you want and when you're talking about you know whether freedom is a good thing I would say uh, empty space can just be <laughs> unfortunately can just be turned into wasted space as you guys just said um, whereas true freedom I think is having the the you've been enabled by somebody to do what you want to do but on your own terms and yeah there's a big difference between the two definitely yeah and it's, it's just really weird. And I, again i think another aspect of it is i think the more structured things are for you the less time you have with yourself um and when you've got certain mental health issues and i think anxiety and depression are the two biggest ones here when you're left alone with you and your own thoughts that can be the worst thing you need to be kept busy but you you that little voice inside when, when you're suffering tells you that don't do that it's not worth it you haven't got to do that or try and do this instead or wait or you're just wasting your time and whenever you then get that you've got a direct instruction of someone going you've got this deadline it's got to be done in an hour, your focus all of a sudden that voice has to gets pushed to the side, and you just go straight in because you, if you don't make that deadline, you've let too many people down, and you have this thing where you, I don't want to let people down. Um, and again, I think again for me that whole structure thing um, is hugely important. But yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting thing, you know, the idea of of freedom which we do have. We all have freedom, but it's, I, I think we always look at the positives of what freedom is. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it's not always the most positive thing. Um, and it's really weird. I'm not aiming to get to a, a definitive point um, with any of these. And um, none of these discussions will be a case of we're solving Just mental to jump health. jump in on that, I think it's important to kind of create that safe space for people to whether they want to listen or interact or, you know, however they want to digest, you know, what you say, what I say, what Stu says, whoever comes on the podcast, whatever they say, I think it's just important to have those discussions out there and, you know, for people to, if they've been feeling a certain way about a certain thing, know that they're not alone in that. Um, and I know, you know, the, the point here, I think, you know, freedom, yeah, there's absolutely, there's, there's huge amount of positives with it, but there are, pitfalls as well and I think a lot of that can come from personal motivation so you, if you're not in a good space mentally um, and you know I definitely wasn't last last year when I got made redundant I worked in quite a toxic office environment 
um you know if, you, if you're not in that good headspace and you're lacking in per personal motivation then suddenly having all this freedom in the world and you know all the time in the world um can actually be quite um debilitating um so no it's an interesting point to bring up and i think you know sorry i, I sort of jumped into you there but um i think it's something you know whether it's this topic or any other that we eventually get to cover you know it's just encouraging people to you know be be open with each other and say not afraid to you know stick the neck out and say actually you know what this thing that a lot of people believe is really positive you know that it's not always that way no and i i appreciate the jumping in as well because almost that's case in point i was given in a way the freedom to talk my brain again it's just i suppose it's just the way some of us are wired my brain just went just go just carry on just carry on and needing someone to step in and even if it was just a, a a minor interruption just it gives me enough time to reset as well so again it's, it's the way we're wired at times um and i think the way the little voices speak to us has a as, as a major impact um but we'll, we'll touch on that more another time before this drags on too long for this one um so obviously with this being our first episode we'll get into a better groove as we go further and further along uh, and we'll work out better segues as well um, because the next thing I want to touch on, while it's still topical as of February 2020, um, is a bit Brexity. Um, I've been playing a, it's not a new game, it's been out on PC for a while, but it's just been released on console. Um, I've been playing Not Tonight, um, a post-Brexit simulator of sorts based around the based around the same mechanics as the absolutely outstanding papers please a lot of games these days and in my review for the game i mentioned this especially the triple a games decide they don't want to be political and they go out of their way to tell you they're not being political um and obviously one of the most recent examples was the division two being set in washington after an outbreak of salt causes civilization to collapse How's that not being political? With Not Tonight, it's really, really refreshing to see uh, a developer now their colours to the mast. Um, whether you agree with their politics or not um, doesn't matter. Um, the fact that someone's willing to go, look, this is what we believe. This is where we stand on the political spectrum. That, I think, is a really, really good thing to see. Um, now, it's very, in terms of the message they're trying to send, it's very, very left-leaning, um, which resonates with me because don't I suppose might turn some people off. I'm very left-leaning. I'm very liberal. Um, and it really does show that, for me, the, the, the negatives of how the political situation in the UK has gone, the way Brexit's been handled, and paints a very damning picture of how Britain will be in a post-Brexit world. Now, do I think Britain is going to collapse in the way that it's shown in the game? Not quite. I don't think it's going to be as obvious as that. And stories are there, especially fictional stories. All fictional stories are based on some kind of reality or you know, some kind of real influence anyway. Um, and there are aspects of it that you can see happening, maybe not to the extremes that you, you see happening. Um, and I mentioned its likeness to a film um, I've seen recently in Sorry to Bother You, which, again, 
shows uh, has a real political agenda uh, and it's set in a surreal world but you see a lot of elements in today's society creep into that and how it works um, and it's the same with, with Not Tonight and what it's actually doing is showing the message where not everyone who voted for Brexit but a certain subset of people who voted for Brexit and voted to con- keep a Conservative government in power why they're doing it, why they, they don't want non-nationals in this country anymore. They don't want to see them here. They don't want to see them working or thriving. They want to see them gone. And the way that Not Tonight tells that story is very well framed. It's often funny in places. It's also very, very dark. It's very upsetting at times. And it all leads to a hell of a payoff. Um, it, it really it also shows how um, I, I think sort of how a lot of terrorist incidents we have in this country are bred by the way people are now, the way the country's been run by those at the top. They give the wrong, they give voices to people that shouldn't be having a voice, um, and then that leads to certain hypocrisies happening. Um, and it makes it easy for people to be radicalised. And you can see all this within the game, the way relationships are created and the way people react to other people. Um, and your role within the game is how you've got to treat people. You are given hard facts and figures and you treat each, each individual person by these hard facts and figures. Um, and that, that brings in a, a conflict within yourself is well, do I want to treat people like that? Do I treat them as based on what it says on their ID card exactly? Or should I be a bit more liberal? Should I let things slide and, and so on and so forth? Um, and now why the mechanics of the game are very much the same as Papers, Please, where you get given a queue of people, you have to check their ID or, you know, in Papers, Please, you check their papers, you look for certain discrepancies to say yes or no. The underlying story that follows that, um, that's fairly different, but again, follows some of the same ethics. But the gameplay um, monotony of that same job day in, day out is the same. And how you use that to try and potentially better your life um, is similar. Um, it's weird one. I think Papers, Please is the better game. Um, I think Not Tonight translates better to the physical controls on the Switch um, than Papers, Please did to the physical controls on the Vita. Um, but both send a very powerful message. And I think Not Tonight resonates a lot more than Papers, Please will. Because I think a lot of people can look at Papers, Please as a game uh, because it's history. Um, and it's based on a fictional place. It's a fictional history. Even though the history, again, is grounded in reality, it's still a fiction. Um, whereas Not Tonight, it, it, they've gone, look, this is Britain. This is Britain. The people are not real, and the scenarios aren't real, and are f- fantastical, but this is Britain. We're not going to hide that. Um, and I think that resonates a lot more and brings home a lot more truths. Doesn't answer any questions. I'd, I'd go as far as say it doesn't really pose any new questions. It's not going to change any beliefs, but it's a very powerful statement, I think, that's been made by the developers. Um, and releasing it on the 31st of January was 
I hate using the term brave when it comes to anything that's not actually brave um, and so on and so forth. When people call footballers brave for making certain tackles, it's like, that's not brave. Uh, but I think it was a very courageous decision on their part to release it when they did, because there could have been a hell of a backlash. But also on a marketing point of view, an absolute genius release date as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's a very, it's, it's a game that sort of like is going to stick with me. It's one of those where I'll look back on that in 10 to 20 years time um, and go, yeah, that game said something. It, it actually said something at a time when people were scared to say, scared to say the right things or scared to put their opinion forward unless it was one of the extremes. And even though it's a very left, a left-sided game, it's not in the extreme in terms of its message. It's it, it's almost left centrist. In terms of the mechanics, then uh, in papers, please, it was kind of you were at a border checkpoint. You reviewed people and you made your decision based on that. So, is this similar? Yeah, it's not a border as such. It's set around um, initially going into pubs and nightclubs and things like that. And you've just got to basically check whether they're old enough, whether the ID has expired and that sort of thing. And it is that literally it's what Papers, Please does. But instead of a border, you're stopping people getting into clubs and nightclubs. Right. Um, so that's the basic, obviously, Papers, Please, it was around that monotony of the day to day. And that's what Not Tonight does with the same thing. It's just you're checking these IDs. Um, it's probably not as in-depth um, as as Papers, Please we, or, uh, was in terms of what you're checking. But I think that's a good thing as well. Very cool. Um, but yeah, so w what was your thoughts on it, Ben? Like in the initial part, because I mean, I've played it right the way through and it left me dumbfounded by the end of it. But I, I, I found it to be early on fairly light in its tone um, with just a couple of standout moments that look designed to sort of like draw you in. So what are your early thoughts? Yeah, I'm not as enamored with it as you are. Um, I, you know, I think it's fine. Um, and you know that's a, not really a positive or negative criticism I, it's not the sort of game that i would typically play the central mechanic sort of the the mundane life that you lead you know checking ids at the door of a well you start off at a pub and then you progress to a nightclub and so on and so on i quite enjoyed that i you know that simple element of just you know this is your job this is your lifestyle um you know you're living in a quite derelict flat You've got a government officer visiting every week. I quite like the the bleakness that the the atmosphere builds up. But I yeah, something with it just didn't quite grab me. I don't know. I I agree with you that these sort of games, it's absolutely important for games to you know if they're going to make a statement, then absolutely should be encouraged to do that. I mean, games are art form at the end of the day, and they should be an expression of you know, a point of view. If I was going to, sorry, look for a game that, um, you know, criticised Brexit, maybe something which was perhaps a little less on the nose uh, being what I was after. But, you know, that's not to take away that what it does, I say it's probably not for me. Um, but, you know, I've, I've enjo I enjoyed the atmosphere that it creates. What I will say, and it's you're at the stage where I was when I first started playing it, which was the this is a bit, as you say, it's a bit on the nose, or it's not, there's something not quite there. Um, and it is, it is unchallenged, and I'll, I'll come to that in a second. Um, mm. 
but it, it, it's designed in such a way that I, it's only when I finished it, I went back and went, that's actually some really clever game design and storytelling. It's designed in such a way that as you come closer and closer to the payoff at the end of the game, that you kind of, you get suckered into something and drawn into something before it then the, the big unveil happens and it, it just hits you. Um, and I think what you're going through at the moment with the game is kind of needed for that endpoint to work. And again, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm not going to say anything about it. But I don't think that endpoint is necessarily right, nor do I think it's wrong. And nor do I think it sends a particular um, end, like specific, like here's a here's a checkpoint on this message. We are hammering this home, but it does raise a few questions at the end, um, and but not not to the point where again you're going to be changing any minds. But it's just kind of almost like a did we need to get to this point? Why did we allow it to get to this point? Which is almost a question of where where the country is at the moment. Do we need to allow it to get to this point where, you know, you can't have discussion anymore? Um, you know, you're on one side of the fence or you're on the other. Um, you know, you seeing as you see um, someone from the left doing something wrong, people who are more towards the right will turn around and go, see, you're just as hip, you're, you're a hypocrite, you're allowed. Well, no, I, I will condemn people on any side of the spectrum that decide to do something. If it's wrong, they deserve calling out on it. But just because one person has done something doesn't mean it's okay for another person to do something. Because whataboutism is just the worst. Um, and I think what, what this does, in a way, is it actually points that out. It points out hypocrisy. Um, and that's what it does more than anything. And it is really, really bleak. But it's stick with it, Ben, is all I can say. Is, and again, I'm not going, you're going to have this massive revelation of, oh my God, this is the greatest game ever. It's not. It is, I, again, I don't do scores, so I'm not even going to do it. But it, it's, it's an above average game. It's an above average game um, in terms of what it does. In terms of what the message does, I think it's, it's there. Um, and but it's not going to be as um, it's not going to hit you as much as a, a film trying to send that message across or a book trying to send that message across at the moment. And that's not in any way condemning video games. I think video games as a storytelling medium have come so so far in the past decade. Yeah, I think more and more games are realizing as well the power of having agency over a character. Um, obviously, yeah. you watch films, TV. You, know, you can get some outstanding dramas, etc., but they're all passive. Um, yeah, I, we'll, we'll touch on yeah. um, these in another podcast as well. Um, I potentially might do a full deep dive on, on this other one that will be a comparison. But what what Not Tonight also did, um, and it's what another game does, is it makes me feel, even though it's meant to be depressed, it's a depressing game. That game being depressing and seeing almost like the the negative way other people are actually makes me feel better. Not because they're being miserable, but it's just like, yeah, do you know what? The world is shit. It's not just me. It's not just happening to me. And if the world is shit, it doesn't matter that things aren't great for me at the same time. And, you know, I, I can't, 
maybe I can do a little something about it for myself. Maybe I need to be a bit selfish about myself at times. And another game that um, done that really well, and I think allowed you to be positive because it was so bleak, was Frostpunk, which is a city builder based after a new Ice Age, um, where it just looks like all hope has completely vanished out of the world um, and you've got a band of survivors and, you know, the world's population is seriously, seriously cut down and cut off from each other. And it is bleak, it is miserable, but in that bleakness, on a personal level, I found that gave me more hope about life than a really uplifting story would do, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, I mean... On that point, Brad, I think it, it's about representation. It's about seeing you represented by somebody else so that you don't feel like you're completely in a vacuum. Uh, it's, it's really important to have that. And, and as you've touched on before, um, one of the things that's deeply upsetting for everyone concerning Brexit is the lack of discourse that you feel you're unable to have. So if you have, whatever your point of view is, if you post that on social media, then very likely going to lose friends. It's yeah. that polarizing, and and that's a really difficult thing to do. So yeah, seeing representations of of you know your point of view or toward something that's towards your leanings out there in in fiction is is really positive, even if the actual content itself is negative, like you said in Frostburn. Um, yeah, no, and that's what the game does. Um, I'd say it, it hasn't got to be perfect. And again, I think this is something we've seen with games um, and the way they're being reported on. And one of the reasons I stopped doing review scores is something's either perfect or it's rubbish. There seems to be no room for it's slightly below average, it's slightly above average. There's no grey areas anymore. Everything's black or white. And it just seems to be the same with everything at the moment. For some games to have that moment of, look, there is grey to life, I think is really good. And Not Tonight does that really, really well, despite having its own clear messages. There's enough there to add to a discussion without changing minds. And a discussion hasn't got to change your mind. And that, I think that's very important. It's okay mm. to have a discussion with someone and then come away with exactly the same view they've had before. Yeah, I agree. Ben, do you feel that you'll probably complete the game or are you done with it? Um, there's a few frustrations, you know, we sort of talk about, we've spoken about the, the wider political side of it, but the actual game structure itself... Um, there comes a point where you have to start checking people's identities on their ID cards. And this um, probably exposes one of the flaws in the game of, you know, the, the graphics being the way they are, the, the, that sort of pixelated style. It can be quite hard to um, to pick out sort of the finer details. So I had a couple yesterday where I was checking the IDs. I go, well, yeah, that I've checked the picture, checked the person. That looks like them. And then I've let them in and the uh, the... The owner of the pub or the club has said, "Oh, that person's ID is fake. Their pictures didn't match." Um, so I, I couldn't, you know, I got that feedback that I'd done something wrong, but I couldn't actually see where I'd made the mistake. So there's a few little frustrations like that, which you know, from a gameplay point of view, it would take, you know, the story would have to evolve a little bit for me to kind of overcome those. I want to play it to its conclusion, or at least until I've had a, a full run through and got more you know, exposure to the actual story underneath. Just just a quick one. Um, obviously, very early on, there's a couple of moments that happen. Um, they're only minor. 
But did you accept the bribes or did you reject? I haven't the bribes? got to that point yet where, where I've needed to take a bribe, but I can see that I need to earn a certain amount of money each month. And I can see there's going to be a point where, yeah, I'm probably going to have to decide whether I take a bribe or there's like a drug dealer that hangs around one of the, the clubs. It's like, am I going to have to let him in? Am I going to have to kind of take a few backhanders from him? And I hope that the game does allow you to either go down that more nefarious route or to try and stay as honest as possible. What's really interesting, and the way the setup is initially, I can't remember the guys. It's called Ferrari or sort of Ferraris. The first guy you see, it's very yeah, early Ferris, on. I think, yeah, and, yeah, and he just wants to get in, um, and it's he offers you, I think, forty quid or something like that to be able to get in, and the game makes it very easy for you to say no, but it's almost like. Um, you know the setup of a horror film where you've got that one person she's like um really loving towards her disabled younger brother or sister or whatever and she's really loving she, she takes care of her family and you kind of watch it going something bad's going to happen to that one um i think in a way what what this does by having that easy to turn down bribe and where it's really clever you can almost sense it's telegraphing right you see turn down that one let's see how you deal with something later on it's almost telegraphing that look, this is just an early example of yeah you can turn down 40 quid to let someone into a club but once you join or you potentially decide to join this resistance are you going to be able to say yes or no at the right times if it means a negative impact on yourself and it's 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 kind of in a way it's clever but in a way, I think that's where I think video game writing still needs to improve. I said, because it's so telegraphed as to what's going to happen potentially later in the game that it almost takes out some of the element of surprise you will get because you'll just go back and go, oh, that's why I did that earlier. And not in a pennies dropped moment either. You're kind of waiting for it. Yeah, and I think, I mean, and the first time I encountered that was the say the drug dealer, and then afterwards, you know, you get the the um, patrons queuing outside the the pubs yeah. and clubs. They'll offer you twenty, thirty quid to try and get in. And yeah, and like you say, like so far, it's been very easy to say no. Um, and I say, I, I hope the game. Speaking as someone who's only a few hours into it, I hope the game allows me to at least not feel that I have to take. Um, take those bribes but i also you know if the writing is strong enough that i'm actually questioning whether actually or maybe i should take them then obviously that's a positive as well in the game's favor so yeah i'm interested to see in which direction it will kind of take me as i play it you know in a video game it will be interesting to see if they can set it up in such a way that i'm actually gonna you know if i do join the resistance and i do feel kind of compelled to you know, do things that perhaps I wouldn't do normally, especially with a topic as we've, we've already touched upon a, enough times, like as kind of explosive as Brexit is like, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it unfolds. Excellent. Um, right. So in terms of that discussion, um, and again, we're going to learn to segue a bit better um, for future episodes, but we'll draw a line on that. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts once you've finished it though, on a further podcast, Ben, because it's, uh, it's definitely one that I think deserves to be played. And hopefully we'll hear more discussion from other people from it soon as well. Um, but pretty much um, that's it for this week's podcast. Um, it's probably dragged on in a few places as we get used to the structure. 
um, and trying to improve as we go on. Um, but first of all, obviously, I'd like to thank Ben and Stu for joining me. Thank you. Cheers. And I will I'll think about a better way of doing the whole follow us and like us and whatever, subscribe or, and all things like that down the line. But um, if you're watching it on the site, if you're reading on the site, so it would be down below in the article somewhere. If you're listening to it on the put together YouTube one, it'll be down in the description. You can you can click on things to like us and whatever. Um, but yeah, until the next time, I've been Bradley. You've been listening to the Mental Health Podcast. Thank you.